Good morning, Ministry Center, and of course, new community, hello. You know, sometimes I forget how wonderful it is that our church is worshiping in three different locations. Each and every week at 9.30, we have 9.30 in the Ministry Center, we have 9.30 in the Sanctuary, and 9.30 down at the Westwood. One church worshiping in three different locations, all bound together by our worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are joining us this morning for the first time, we hope that you have at least had one awkward conversation so far this morning with somebody. And maybe next time when you come back next week, it might get a little bit less awkward each and every time. And to get you up to speed a little bit, we have been going through the book of 1 Corinthians. We started since the beginning of the school year. And at risk of repeating things a million times, I wanted to just review real quickly and remind you that the church in Corinth that we are studying, they are really not doing so well. Paul had planted this worshiping community right there in Corinth where he proclaimed the testimony of God, not in some kind of lofty wisdom, but rather he decided to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul said that right there in the beginning of chapter 2, which we went through last week with Jeff. And he specifically used that language, Paul that is, specifically used that language of knowing nothing because Paul is detailing his response to a community in Corinth that believed in human knowledge. They believed in human knowledge. It was the avenue to ultimate truths. And so Paul is writing to them and he's saying, no, you are getting this all wrong. The gospel that I proclaim, it's not ultimately about you, church in Corinth. Paul essentially says that this gospel is about the living God, whose very own spirit is in them. And you can't understand any of God without that spirit, which has been given freely to you from God. It isn't because you were smart. It isn't because you can understand the great philosophers of the day. It isn't because you scored in the 99th percentile on the SAT. Nope. If that is how you think about the gospel, then you are emptying the cross of its power. And ultimately, that is Christ. And how are they doing that? How are they doing all that? Because the gospel they bought into dangerously misplaces the dunamis, which means the power or ability or strength. It, mis- it misplaces the dunamis in the hands of the people and not of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I come to church to hear that there is a God outside of my own power who takes the sin of pride and the senselessness of the things that happen in this world, like what happened this week in Las Vegas or the myriad of natural disasters or fill in your blank with the next evidence that this world is broken. This world is filled with sin. And God takes that stuff and he redeems them so that nothing that happens in this life is meaningless. That is not to say that what happens is good, but it is redeemed. And we have proof of that. We have proof of that because God took the horrific death on a cross so that we can have eternal, everlasting relationship with him. And what is foolish to those who are perishing is life eternal to those in the spirit. So all of that as a way of bringing us back to Paul in chapter 3. We have people born of the Spirit, and we have people that are natural. And so now in chapter 3, Paul turns his attention directly to the situation in Corinth. 
who are people of the Spirit, but who haven't grown in their faith and are called by Paul worldly and called by Paul to be of the flesh. And so I want to take this in two sections this morning. The first section, one through three, which details Paul's diagnosis of the issue. And then we're going to turn and hop into the second part in verse five through nine, which gives the treatment plan. So I invite you to open up to chapter three of 1 Corinthians. It says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as spiritual but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready for it. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not worldly? Are you not of the flesh and behaving in a human way? For one says, I follow Paul, and the next says, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? As a chaplain, I'm often in the room for some really challenging and tough conversations. Some folks are finding out about a diagnosis that is not going to look so good and could potentially lead to death. And most of these folks want to know what's going on in their bodies. And they want to know, what can I do about this? What treatment can happen so that we can fix it? In that light, I think it's helpful for me to look at Paul here as a doctor who is delivering some bad news to the church in Corinth as his patient. While no one really wants to receive that bad news from the doctor, there is is no progress if our bodies and our illnesses are left unattended to. This is true for our spiritual health as well. If I were at the church in Corinth, I probably wouldn't have wanted to hear what Paul had to say. I wouldn't have been thrilled with what Paul was saying. But it had to be said. And if someone came up to to me about something they see in my life, I probably wouldn't want to hear it either. I might get defensive. But I need that in order to go to repentance. And in the end, all of that has to be said. Paul is uncovering sin in this community that if it's left unattended, it would ultimately lead to their spiritual death. And what is that sin? Divisions. These divisions lead to jealousy and strife, and all of that is rooted in this sense of pride, a sense that they are too intelligent for this simple message that Paul was declaring to them of Jesus Christ crucified. I can almost hear the Corinthians in their conversations in my head. Can you believe that guy, Paul? He treats us like we're so dumb. But yeah, that Apollos guy, he's my guy. It's almost like the lunacy of sports talk radio as they go on for hours and hours about who the MVP of the Yankees is this year. It just causes these divisions and strife because the focus ultimately remains on the things that are seen as opposed to that which is unseen. And that, of course, is the Lord. So Paul, like a doctor, is reading them the report from the MRI, diagnosing this festering issue of pride, proving to them that they are merely human. You know, I experienced this in myself in the desert of Mexico. I probably have mentioned it before, but I really, really love that trip to Mexico. It's one of my favorites. It is this awesome way to see the tangible help of giving a home to someone in the name of Jesus. But, you know, I also realized something else down there in Mexico. And for those of you who have never been before, let me try and paint this scene for you. 
There are about three to six teams, depending on the year. Sometimes there's more that go down and, and they're in the desert there. And each team, it has this own, their own site for the build. And the build happens in about four days. And it usually can, you can usually see all the other sites from your site that you're building on. So throughout the day, you look up and you see how the other teams are doing. And the natural thoughts are, man, their site looks so much easier If only we had that person on our team. If only these little kids would stop running around and and, and trying to stop my team from working on the house, distracting everybody from the builds. Or it could be the flip side. You could say, ha, look at that team. They are on the struggle bus today. They haven't even poured half of their foundation slab yet. And then my favorite. You get back to camp, and what is the first question that people ask? Well, of course, it's how to go today. How to go. Which really means, did we get further in the build than you did today? Jealousy can lead to strife, which all is rooted in pride. This happens in the workplace all the time. It happens, like I just said, in Mexico. It happens at home between siblings. And shockingly, folks, it happens in the church as well. This ministry seems to be getting more attention than the ministry that I'm involved in. And again, jealousy, it tunes our hearts to our own flesh and not to the Lord. And so I guess quite simply, I would ask, could Paul be writing this to us in the same way that he is writing it to the Corinthians? Are we worldly here? Are our hearts tuned to sing God's praise? Or are they prone to wander? My guess is that there are some areas in your life that need a stern word of correction a word of hope, and a word of grace. Growth of the church starts with growth on a personal level, and it is rooted in the humility of saying, God, may you increase, and may I decrease. A number of weeks back, Matt Holliday, some of you got to go to it, came to our church, and he shared this story of faith in a simple yet really, really powerful way. And I don't know if any of you caught it, but he had this tattoo, I think, on his left arm, and The tattoo is from Job chapter 36, verse verse 26, and it says, "Where Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. You see, the church in Corinth, acting merely human, would scoff at a verse like that. Of course we can understand, they would say. Of course we can. We can know everything. Knowledge is power. But that's merely human. It's worldly. It's of the flesh. But then there's the testimony of Matt Holliday, a man who has conquered the heights of the American dream, who worked really hard in life, who was an MVP, who was an all-star, who was a World Series champion, and yet knows that he is merely human. He knows that, that, that he wasn't here when the earth was created. He knows that he is sinful, and he knows that it is only by God's grace that he can do any of the things that he does on the baseball field. And as, and as Matt said to, to us, all of that has allowed me to live a lot freer. And this leads us then to the second part of Paul's encouragement to the, first, to the, uh, to the Corinthians. So he's diagnosed them with this worldly heart. And now he's going to write what their treatment plan is. So let's head back to Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. You can pull it out again if you've closed it. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. 
So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. What a powerful, concise message to the church. When we see our work in light of the God of eternity, we realize that our work is nothing without him. And I think there are two ways to look at this, at this passage. I think penultimately we are shown that we need each other because we are all unique. We need each other because we are all unique. Paul was the one who watered, Apollos was the one, or uh, Paul was the one who planted, Apollos was the one who watered, and God gave each of them different roles in that church. In the same way today, we are all assigned different gifts on this team in this church. Each of you in this room have been given gifts. Some of you are really good at encouraging other people. Some of you have a wisdom that can kind of cut through the minutia and the jetsam and floatsam of this life to see what the Lord is doing in people's lives. Others of you are prophetic and they, you can sense a sin in our community that needs to be repented of and calling us back to the Lord. Others of you can share your faith in, in a way that just hits home for people. And some of you can teach in a Bible study or in, in a uh, Sunday school and, and that you can walk people systematically through the scripture. Each of you, when you give your life to Christ, is, are given gifts in the spirit that are used to build up his church for his glory. And hear me out, church. Not one of these gifts, they're not more holy than the next one. And all of that leads to a humility and not a pride. If a seed is planted but it's not watered, the seed is going to die out. If something is watered without having a seed there, you just get wet dirt bearing no return. And for those of you who are already looking ahead in 1 Corinthians, Paul is going to go into much more detail about this. He's going to circle back there in chapters 12 and 13. So stay tuned in a, in a few months. And if you've ever been a part of a team, though, you get what I'm talking about. You know, there can only be one quarterback. The quarterback can't run down the field and catch his own pass. And he can't make a play all the way downfield if he doesn't have those big guys in front of him that are blocking for him and protecting him so that he, that he can have the time to make that throw downfield. Each person has their role that leads the team to their goal. And the church is no different. He who waters and he who plants are one, but only God gives the growth. So if Paul's first point is to encourage each person in their unique gifts of the Spirit, then the second, and I would argue probably the much more powerful point, is that only God gives that growth. So on the one hand, we are all unique, right? Paul just went through that in verse 6. But on the other hand, and again, I would argue the more pertinent and the more powerful, our uniqueness means nothing without the Lord. It is only the Lord who makes us anything. Remember, right back there in verse 7, it says, So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything. We are nothing. Only God who makes them grow. And so some people, they might read that and they might say, Psh, God is some big bully who just wants all the credit. And he has a bunch of people that are roaming around on his earth with really low self-esteem, thinking that they're nothing at all. My answer to that? Foolishness. When a life is given over to the Lord, Jesus tells us that in him there is an abundant life that is filled to the full. 
Not, not, it's not filled with the stuff of this world, but it is filled with that which is only satisfies the longings of the heart. And of course, that can only be found in the Lord. So real quick, a, a real quick sidebar here. I had a conversation with a coworker this past week, and, and the coworker identifies herself as a non-practicing Catholic. And she was having a really, really tough time at work this week, like a really hard time. And, and I went into her office, and she said to me, you know, I've always had this feeling that there is something more in this life than just this stuff, these business plans, these spreadsheets. And I said, what do you think that is? She says, I don't know, be light, bring joy to people. I told her, you know, I think God places that longing in every single one of our hearts. And I think he is the only one that can satisfy that. And then, of course, her phone rang in her office. And I said, get behind me, Satan. But my point really being that people are out there. They sense that there is something bigger than themselves. As a church, are we ready to come alongside of what God is doing in their life to be able to answer and engage in questions like that? I think part of that longing that God has given all of us is for growth. It's for growth in in, in our marriages. It's for growth in our families and our friends and in our relationship ultimately with the Lord. And as Jeff mentioned last week, as a church, we care really, really deeply that you can take your next step, that you're able to progress in your walk with the Lord. This is a constant, it's a never-ending process that at times it can feel really painful and at times it can feel lonely and at times you can be torn up with guilt as you face these new situations in your life and you start to wonder, am I doing this thing called life right? And you call out to the Lord And you're trying to figure out what the best way to be a godly parent is. You're trying to figure out the best way to be a godly co-worker. And God meets us there. And as Paul writes, God causes us to grow. And Paul uses these two images for growth. One image he uses is this agriculture and the other one is architecture. In verse 9 he calls the people God's field. And if any of you have ever gardened or farmed anything before, you know that it's quite the process. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty uh, it's tough, right? There are some things that are outside of your control. And, and when the growth happens, it's often slow, it's often deliberate, and it takes a lot of time. But Paul also talks about us as God's building. And for those builders here or anyone else who works with your hands, you know that having that firm foundation set is so important because the whole house is going to be off if it's not right. It's the same thing in Christian discipleship. We must constantly be examining that foundation, our cornerstone, to make sure that we are building on Jesus Christ. If you are longing for spiritual maturity, if you have realized, you know what, I've been drinking that milk for way too long right now. I'm not growing in my relationship with the Lord. I would tell you, you know what, go back to the gospel. And that's what Paul is doing right here in the church. He is pleading with them. Your heart, it's full of flesh. They're, they're going, you're going to fail. Don't be focusing on that stuff, Paul says. It is here today and it's gone tomorrow. Instead, church in Corinth, instead PCNP and New Community, look to the giver of life who makes all of that stuff grow, who makes your heart grow, who turns that heart of flesh and transforms it and redeems it day by day because of God's justifying and sanctifying work of the cross. And when that comes into focus, the stuff of this world will grow strangely dim. So repent of that sin in your life because he is gracious towards you. 
I want to close with this verse from Jeremiah, followed by an experience I had this week that was quite unique. And so Jeremiah 9, 23, 24, I would flip to it if you can. And you'd mark it up and return to it. And when you are longing for that growth in the Lord, go back to this one. Because I think it is ultimately the message of 1 Corinthians in a nutshell. So Jeremiah, he says, thus says the Lord. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. It's not the success of this world that will bring us that deep satisfaction. It is not our intelligence for just intelligence sake, but rather satisfaction comes from understanding and knowing God. How simple yet powerful. And so my neighbor, he came over to invite us to this block party this week, and he asked me, how's JC doing? I said, Jesus is doing great. He loves me, and I love him too. So we kept talking a little bit, and he started sharing some really interesting experiences that he had in his life. And then he started talking to me about heaven and what he's expecting and what he pictures heaven to be like. And he said to me, he's like, I think when I get there, it's going to be like the Ritz-Carlton lobby. I think everyone who I know and, I, and loves me, you know, my family and all my friends, they're going to be there and they're going to welcome me to that lobby. And we're going to be sipping lemonade and, and iced tea. And I'm, thinking it's gonna, and, and, and I'm thinking, if I want chocolate ice cream, bam, the best chocolate ice cream in the world is going to be right there for me. It's going to show up right here in my arms. And so in my head, I'm thinking, seriously, Lord? This is the perfect ending to my sermon. Thank you for bringing this guy to my door. And then I said, you know, I don't think it'll be like that. I think that all of our longings, all of our desires and our wants will be 100% completely satisfied because we are going to be in the presence of the Lord all the time. We aren't going to be wanting anything else we won't want that chocolate ice cream, even if it's a heavenly chocolate ice cream. And so now, I know how to pray for my neighbor. It might not be quarreling and strife that is showing the worldliness, but it certainly is that ice cream. So needless to say, my neighbor is still just getting the milk and not quite yet the solid food. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for scripture. Thank you so much for the church in Corinth and, and for Paul, Lord, who just who kept going at it because he loved you so much. God, he loves you and he knows that the gospel is at stake, God. And I know the gospel is, is at stake even today and it's not on our backs, Lord. We know that the gospel is ultimately fulfilled in you. But God, as we are ambassadors of the gospel, as we are, are ambassadors of the good news, God, I pray that as a church that we can come together. Lord, that we would know our different roles, that we would know our different gifts, and that we could use them for your glory and not for our own glory. Lord, thank you so much that you love us. Thank you so much for the cross and for the simplicity of that powerful, powerful message. And so as a church together, we say amen.